All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Don, and thank you to my wife, of course, to Mallory, to Winter for jumping up and leading worship uh, with Carrie out this week. Can you guys hear me all right? There we go. Okay. Thank you to you guys for jumping up and, and filling in. We do appreciate that. If you guys will turn with me to Psalm 128, that is our text for today that we will be focused on. And as we start, I want to ask you a question. Don alluded to, of course, this is New Year's Eve. We are going into the new year. And do you have joy in your heart today? Do you have joy in your heart? Are you happy as we go into this new year, as we close out 2023? Because if you look around at our society, it seems like everyone is looking for fulfillment. They all want happiness. They all want joy, fulfillment, and blessing. We all want a better year than the one that came before it. And I do pray you're blessed. I do pray you'll have a great new year, as I do pray for our church to be blessed in the new year as well. But whether you're a Christian or not, it seems like everyone kind of has similar desires and similar hopes when we enter into a new year or just for life in general. Everyone wants to know peace. Everyone wants to know happiness, to have joy, and to have fulfillment in their lives. There are very few people who like to be miserable. Although, I will say, the other day, I was traveling uh, through Ajo, right? Travel down through Ajo. I don't know if you've ever been there. Garlic. The town means garlic in Spanish. Don't know why. But anyway, I traveled through there and I saw this sign that it said something to the effect of, welcome to Ajo, 3,000 normal people and 17 old cranks. Like That was the, <laughs> the sign entering town. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to meet the 17 old cranks. But... But unless you're one of those old cranks, very few of us like to be miserable, right? We're all looking for something. We're looking for the blessing of God in our lives, whether we often know it or not. But it seems like the majority of people, and even us sometimes, if you're a Christian, are looking for that blessing in all the wrong places. We're looking for that blessing in our possessions, in our popularity, in our health. And these things are not intrinsically bad, of course. We do often pray for some of these things. But isn't there more than just the temporal blessings? People look for a worldly fulfillment that ultimately does not satisfy, but what we all really need is a blessing from God, a blessing of knowing him personally and having things flow into our lives from that, that are blessings from him that further enrich and bring us joy in our lives. And again, perhaps deep down, most people, I think, know that these blessings come from God, even if they're not willing to acknowledge it. But so today, as we read this psalm, I want to acknowledge that our blessings come from God and that we need to go before him and seek him first. And when we seek him and follow him, his blessings come to us, whether that be salvation or any number of earthly blessings and promises that come to us. So today, as we look at Psalm 128, I want to give you a brief background on this psalm. This is what we call one of the psalms of ascents. It's the psalms that the um, Israelites would sing as they would walk up on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so it was one of their songs as they went up the mountain to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And uh, it was also in the category of the wisdom psalm. So if you if we read this, it's going to sound a little bit like Proverbs almost. Well, it's one of the wisdom psalms, and there are several others like that. And it's one of two family-focused psalms. So this one, 128 and 127, right before it, are focused on family. So it's one of only two that really hit on that category. 
But one important truth to understand before we read this psalm about blessings, happiness, fulfillment, all these sorts of things that I want to put out there is that we are not guaranteed any of this, even in following God, right? There are no guarantees in following God other than, of course, salvation, but rather the blessings, the happiness, the fulfillment that this psalm is going to speak to are the desired outcomes that the psalmist has for you as God's people. And so as you follow God, these blessings are going to tend to build up. However, what we're looking at here are godly principles. These are godly principles, but they're not guarantees of anything beyond salvation. We still have the sinful reality of our world to deal with, but the blessings of God can and will overcome this world. And remember, again, as we read through this, the ultimate blessing is going to be salvation And we're going to come to that later. But God loves to give other blessings as well to you and to his people, right? He wants, he desires to give you good things. You look at that Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, the merciful, the poor in spirit. All of these people, Jesus desires to bless. So if you're thinking today, going into this new year, how can I enjoy the blessings of God? How can I find real joy and fulfillment in a world that doesn't seem to offer such things? Let's read Psalm 128. How can I receive the blessing of God? Verse 1, a song of ascents. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for, and you will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like young olive trees around your table. And in this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children. And peace be with Israel. So I want to start out today by bringing you the truth right up front what I believe is the core truth found in this psalm. And that is simple. Life is blessed when you live for God. Very simple, very straightforward. Life is blessed when you live for God and so be blessed. But I would even add to that that greater blessings come from knowing God intimately. And I don't know what these blessings are going to look like for each of you individually, specifically. They probably will be a little bit different for every person. They might be just like the aspirational blessings In this psalm, they might be a little different. But what I can say is that as you know God, as you accept his blessings, that will bring you a greater peace peace and joy in, in every circumstance, regardless of what you're dealing with today in your life as you walk out those doors. And I also know that when you follow God, when you live the life of his blessing, you won't have to wander through life aimlessly looking for purpose, looking for what to do. You'll have that in your worship of our holy God and your life fulfilled in him. And so let's begin. Let's start going through the blessings of these psalms one by one. But I want to first make note of about three different important things to just keep in mind contextually, all right, as we read this. The first thing you might have noticed here is that the blessings in this text start with the individual and they expand out. Okay, so we're going to first look at individual blessings. That's the first thing, but they're going to expand out from that. We'll go from individuals who follow God and are blessed to families who follow God and are blessed to nations who follow God and are blessed. 
And so that follows this kind of pattern, this extending pattern. We start at the smallest unit and we grow bigger. So that'll be kind of the structure and the framework for this text. But second, notice as we were reading this, this text describes a man, a blessed man, who has a wife, he has children, and he even has grandchildren, you might have noted there. Now, that doesn't exclude the half of you that are women from blessings. That doesn't exclude your children. It doesn't exclude the men who are not married, who don't have a wife and don't have children. In fact, verse 1 actually says that blessings are available to everyone who fears the Lord. However, what this does emphasize in that it's written to this man, this head of the household, is the leading role that husbands and fathers play in bringing blessings to their covenant households and even in bringing blessings to their nations. So that's not to set aside the role of women or the children, but it is to emphasize the role of a godly man in the household. And so we'll see that here today. But first, let's look at the individual blessings. First off, verse 1. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And then you jump down to verse 4. In, the very, in this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord. And what's interesting contextually, again, about this verse, depending on your translation, if you're reading the CSV, CSB, excuse me, you've got two uses of the word happy. Happy is the man, right? In verse 1 and verse 2. And then you jump down to verse 4 and verse 5 and it's blessed. Blessed is the man. Some translations are going to have them all say blessed. It is two different words in the Hebrew, but they could all be translated as blessed. So just understand that. I'm not sure, honestly, how I feel about the term happy. I'm, I'm not, I sometimes don't really feel that as much when I read the text, but you can translate this in verse 1 and 2 either happy or blessed, but know that it could mean either. And when we speak of blessings, here's something else we got to step back and consider. We have to realize there is a level of undeserved blessing that God gives to every single person, every single person on earth, believers or not, because nobody really deserves anything from God other than death, other than punishment for their sins. So anything that we really have or anything that even people who aren't Christians have is a blessing in some form. And you might hear that sometimes called common grace. That's the idea there. All humans receive a form of common grace from God, and it's common because these are undeserved blessings that are not part of salvation. They're not just for the elect. They're not just for Christians. They're for all people. You see this in a place like Matthew 5.45. 545, excuse me, Jesus talks about this. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. These are common graces that God gives to everyone. The simplest baseline of God's blessing to mankind. But what we're talking about today is a step up from that. It's a little more. It's for those who follow God and are blessed in that following of God. And so if you're a Christian, these blessings are for you. So let's look at a couple different ways these verses describe the life of the blessed person, the one who is following Jesus. And I hope that that is each of you today. I hope that you are following Jesus in order to receive these blessings. How do these verses describe your life then? Well, first, attitude. The God-honoring person, the person with a fulfilled life, 
will have a God-honoring attitude. That verse 1, it said right there at start, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord. But that's the attitude. It's the fear of the Lord. And this is, this is a way of thinking about God that is basically unique to Christians. Right? You're not going to fear the Lord unless you're a Christian. And fear of God, fear of the Lord, isn't just hiding in a corner, hiding in a basement because God can smite you. Although, uh, I will say that there is an element to that of understanding God's judgment and understanding his power. That is certainly part of it. But there's more to fearing God than just that. Fearing God really means having a spiritual fear. And so it's a combination of reverence for God and awe of God and trust in God. That's all part of fearing him. And so fearing God is a spiritual fear. Psalm 29.2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We pray that is what we do when we gather together. But that is what it looks like to fear the Lord, to ascribe the Lord the glory due his name, to worship the Lord in splendor, in his holiness. That is fearing him. And so in order to be blessed, first let's think about what's your state of mind. Our state of mind must be one of fearing God rather than rejecting God, hating God, mocking God, especially apathy towards God. Maybe you've known people, kind of, you have that stereotypical angry atheist, right? You, you know, people who do reject God. And you've got kind of that stereotype of that angry atheist, the person who will tell you over and over, oh, God doesn't exist, but I really, really hate him, right? You know, you know that person. We've all known those people, right? I knew a lot of them when I were younger. God doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. Oh, and I hate him so much. Well, you've got that, but then you've got more commonly, perhaps, the person who's just apathetic. They're just apathetic toward God. And, and I honestly think this is worse. I think it's way worse to be apathetic toward God than it is to be openly hostile toward him because, you know, you, you might have the person out there that they even occasionally acknowledge God or something like that, but they're not believers. Both of these people are opponents of God and neither fear the Lord, neither receive this blessing because they don't fear the Lord. Anyone who's going to stand in opposition to God, they're not going to have the happy contentment spoken of here. They're not going to have peace. Sure, they might have a nice house. They might have some things on this earth we would call blessings. But there's no inner peace. There's still inner turmoil because there's war between man and God. That war that only Jesus can resolve. So first, if we're going to be blessed, we've got to have a God-honoring attitude. So I want you to think mentally first, the mental aspect is my attitude one of honoring God and praising him above all things? And if it is, then I can be blessed. But second, the fulfilled God-honoring person, it's not just attitude, it's God-honoring actions. Did you see the second half of verse 1? Happy is everyone who fears the Lord. There's your attitude. But then, happy is everyone who walks in his ways. So there's your action. So it's the attitude followed by the action. This flows out of already having that correct attitude toward God, fearing him. It's a cause and effect. Right doctrine leads to right living. Orthodoxy is the churchy word, leads to orthopraxy, right? So the right doctrine and the right living go together. 
Psalm 119.1 says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Those who follow him, who walk in his ways, who walk according to instruction. And the Lord's instruction, this is his law. This is what's found in Scripture. So for you, most of you here are Christians. I want you to think about the Lord's instruction, the Lord's law. When you see it, when you know it, when you read it in Scripture, do you ignore it or do you treasure it? When you see God's instruction, do you ignore it or do you treasure it? Is it valuable to you? Does it mean something to you? Because walking here, walking in the ways of the Lord, denotes a general lifestyle, a general direction of following God, ultimately not being perfect at it, but the general direction of walking in God's ways. So when someone looks at your life, would they say, you generally walk in the ways of the Lord? Would they describe you in that manner or not? Because these God-honoring actions, they lead you away from sin. And guess what? Less sin in your life equals less trouble, equals more blessings. And so God's blessings naturally flow out of following him. Who would have thought? Surprise. But there's your blessing. So we have the right attitude toward God. We therefore have the right action toward God. We therefore receive God's blessing. But finally, again, I want to emphasize these blessings describe the person who truly knows God, who truly is saved. And you today must know your salvation because that's the greatest blessing is to commune with Jesus. For those of you that are believers, you would never trade anything for that, would you? Would you ever go back? Could you ever imagine living the years you've lived with Jesus apart from him? It just wouldn't work. And that is the greatest blessing, is knowing him, is following him. And so throughout all these earthly blessings that we're talking about in this psalm, don't forget the even richer blessings of God's grace and God's mercy in salvation that he came from heaven to earth to save you as his people. And so because of that, guys, in this life, you might not get to experience the fullest extent of all these other blessings that are described in this psalm. You may, you may not, I don't know. But guess what? These blessings are just a small taste of what's to come. These blessings are just a small taste of of eternity, of eternal life with Jesus, with him in heaven. To have a restored body, Right? Some of you are, are wishing for that, to have a restored body, to finally be separated from evil and from pain, and to live fully with him. And so let's remember his blessings, and let's remember the eternal blessings that come from following him. But what if you aren't part of God's family? What does it look like to be saved? Well, the simple way to put it is Jesus came to save, and you have to turn away from this world and put your trust In Jesus alone, if you desire blessings, if you desire fulfillment and a full life, what must you do? Titus 3, 4 through 7. I like this verse because we don't, it's pretty salvation oriented, but we don't talk about it a lot for some reason. But when the kindness of our God, of God our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That's a beautiful scripture. Excuse me again. 
I think it's a beautiful just descriptor of, of salvation and, and what it is to follow him. And it sounds a lot like a blessing, doesn't it? A lot like a blessing to be brought into the family of God, to be given eternal life. And so if you're here and you're hearing this and you're thinking about it, would you join the family? That's my plea for you is to be blessed in this way with that hope of eternal life. But for the rest of us, will you have a God-honoring attitude, reverence for him that leads to God-honoring actions, that leads to doing Because God wants you to know his joy today, right in the midst of your circumstances. I am sure there are some of you dealing with some serious things today. And in the midst of all that, God wants you to know his joy and his blessing and his peace in the middle of those circumstances, no matter if what you're going through is good or bad or somewhere in between, this is your blessing, is knowing him and knowing his peace. So for all of us, that is our blessing from following God. So that's number one. What do we get when we follow God? An individual blessing. But then two, remember we're talking about radiating out here. From the individual blessing, it now pushes out into the family blessings. So that's number two. We have a family, familial blessing that is emphasized here in this psalm. And we have to remember our decisions as believers impact others for better or for worse. And so when we begin to follow God, and we receive his blessings, the people around us benefit by proximity. And this is especially true within the family, within that covenant bond between husband and wife. Those around us also are blessed. And so as we we read these verses, I want you to picture in your head a dinner table. All right? Okay, that's weird. Go with me here, okay? Picture a dinner table. And picture those who are gathering around the dinner table as we read this. Verse 2. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like young olive trees around your table. Jump down to verse 6. And you will see your children's children. So let's go through all these different elements of the household, of this dinner table that you're picturing in your mind. So the first thing you got there is food, okay? You got food. This is not a person, but you got food. Verse 2, you will surely eat what your hands have worked for. So it shows us work or vocational-related blessings, and that is just something we don't talk about enough in the church. But there's this idea called the Puritan work ethic. Some of you might have heard of it, the theology of work, that we work ultimately for God, We work for him. We don't work for man. But here, the blessing in your work, in your hard labor, comes from you having the opportunity to eat what your hands have worked for. Your toil won't just benefit your company and your boss. It will benefit you, and it will benefit your family. You have lots of food to eat on the table, and you'll be happy to eat it because God has blessed you as one of his people. So keep that in mind here. You've got the blessings of the food here at the dinner table. Next, and this one's implied, you have the husband and the father to whom this psalm is addressed. And so this is kind of implied here, but I want to address the husband because I think that's very, very important. And when the husband is blessed, the rest of the family is blessed as well. Some of you, you think back to your, your lineage, how you became Christians, and maybe there was a husband or a father or a grandfather or someone in your family history that was blessed by his following of God, and it went down through 
the generations. That was the case somewhat for my family. And so the husband here in this picture is the head of this blessed family, and he therefore has duties as head of the family. So what must this husband do? What must he be? Well, number one, he has to be the prophet. He has to be the prophet for his family, and that means he has to deliver the word of God to his family. That is the husband's job. And men, be assured that if you don't invest the time and energy to teach your family about God, be assured someone else is going to teach them, but it's not going to be about God. It's your job to invest and to be the prophet of this table, of this blessed family. But it's not just your job to bring the word of God to your family and teach them the word of God. Husbands, fathers, it's also your job to be the priest. And so if a prophet brings the word of God into the family, what does the priest do? He goes before God on behalf of the family. So that's prayer. So it's your job to go before God on behalf of your family and pray for them, to petition God, to save them, to bless them, to give them all these good things. And then also, husbands, fathers, you have to be the protector. And you have not just physical protection, sure, physical protector, okay, but you also have to be the spiritual protector to ward off bad ideas and heresies. And then you also have to be the provider to put the food on the table that, that we've talked about. That all falls on you as the husband and the father. And so the man of God who fulfills these tasks, who does these things, will be blessed, and he will be a blessing to others. Those blessings will flow out from the man. But then second here, you've got the food, you've got the man, and you've got the wife. Did you notice what it says about the wife there? Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And here that's talking about, you know, wife is like a fruitful vine of grapes. It's probably a grapevine that we're dealing with here. And as far as earthly blessings go, there's nothing better than having a great wife, right? I mean, I would know. I have the best. She even got up here today and played an instrument she doesn't play, you know, to fill in. But did I win brownie points with that? Okay, good, good. But there really is, right, men? You know, there's, there's nothing better in life apart from salvation than having a great wife. As far as earthly blessings go, that's it. But the wife described here, she is a blessing to her husband in a couple different ways, both in faithfulness and in fruitfulness. Faithfulness, it said here, she is a blessing, and you could translate that in the inner rooms. She's a blessing in the inner rooms of your house. She takes care of the house. She keeps it running. She makes things move and function. So the wife is a blessing in the house. She's loyal to the husband. She's loyal to the house, and she blesses all who lives there. Or maybe we should say God blesses all who lives there through her, through her efforts. In Proverbs 31, it says, Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. See, the wife blesses the husband with her faithfulness. Her faithfulness to God is a blessing to her family. But then also, her fruitfulness. She's here called also a fruitful vine, which again, you're thinking like, oh, this is like Song of Solomon, right? This is getting, this is getting strange. She's described as a fruitful vine, which is best interpreted in relation to fertility. She has many children. She cares for their needs with contentment. She doesn't hate children, but she loves and cares and provides for all her children. And so 
for those of you, for again, you men, I hope to remind you what a blessing your wife is as she does these things. So we've got the food, the husband, the wife, and then who else comes next around this big dinner table in the family of blessing is the children. And the children are described as young olive trees. And again, you're like, oh, this is weird. And I was joking with my kids this week, calling them that. It just doesn't make sense in our culture, right? A young olive tree, that's not even a compliment. You don't even know what that is. But, but it makes sense if you go back contextually here. This is actually a pretty good analogy. Because for, for an olive tree to grow the most fruit, to be the most fruitful and a blessing on the owner of the olive tree, the olive tree has to be trimmed. It has to be carefully cultivated. And then it bears more fruit. And it bears more good fruit. And aren't children kind of the same way? They have to be trimmed and carefully cultivated in, in the sense of being taught and sometimes disciplined. But when you do that, they bear good fruit and they are a great blessing. And another thing to notice here about these foods, we're talking about grapes, right? The vine, which is the wife, the olives, which are the children. Does it stand out to you that those in this culture at this time are luxury foods? Right? We're not talking about bread. We're not talking about just the stuff that gets by. This is the abundance, right? This is the good stuff. This is like the equivalent of saying this is the ice cream, right, of our day. And so they're the good foods. They're the best. They're not just the stuff you need to survive. And the children and the wife both fall into that category. In Psalm 127, speaking again of the children, the psalm right before this, uh, people joke, this should be my life verse, right? But Psalm 127, 3 through 5, Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gates. So it's basically saying here, hey, when your enemies come at you, guess what? They're not going to bug me because I got more people than they do. And we're going to beat them right? So I, I like this. I like this. But in terms of blessing, note here, what is the blessing? The blessing is children and lots of children. Now, that's not the way American culture thinks, right? I mean, apart from the church especially, kind of in the church, we kind of get this, that children are a blessing. But man, you go and you, you look on TV, and that is not the culture you see there. That is not the culture you see among secular people who, right, maybe maybe they'll have one or two kids, right? But the idea of actually having lots of children as a blessing, well, that's foreign to most Americans. But it's not foreign to the Bible. So it shouldn't be foreign to our thinking either. Because children here are repeatedly affirmed as a blessing, and that does stand in strong contrast to the pagan culture, which would typically view children as, what, a nuisance, an expense, right? Kids are really expensive. That's the pagan thought process. But it's never the thought process you find in the Bible. So my encouragement for you on this point is to believe the Bible, right? If you have two options, what, what, do you, what should you think about having children or having lots of children? Should I believe the Bible or should I believe pagan culture? I'm going to go with the Bible. So keep that in mind when we think about children here. Children are indeed a blessing, although a lot of hard work too. So the last person here, right? Who's the last person at this table? And let's wrap this up. Did you notice there in verse 6, 
you've got grandchildren. The last people gathered at the table are the grandchildren. It says in verse 6, and you will see your children's children. So there's two parts to this blessing. One, we're going to talk about the grandchildren, but also what do grandchildren represent? They represent a long life. You will see them. If you live to see them, that is a long life. That is a heritage. Because many people don't live long enough to see their grandchildren. Some of you are like, hey, I just saw my great-grandchildren for Christmas, right? Some of you are like really blessed. You're like double, triple, quadruple blessings. You live long enough to see your great-grandchildren. But here it just says, hey, if you live long enough to see your grandchildren, that's, that's a blessing. That's great. And God has blessed us in a lot of ways. Modern medicine, which helps us live longer. Um, but even more than just living long. I think here it's living to see a fruitful legacy. And so some of you might be thinking, well, I don't have children. I don't have grandchildren. Well, what would this fruitful legacy look like? It would be a spiritual legacy. It would be a legacy of those who you have led to faith and you have discipled, and they're kind of spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren, if you would, around your dinner table. But how many of us have ever thought about our future grandchildren? Now, I'm not talking about you that already have them. I'm talking about the younger people, right? So like Kylie, how often do you think about your future grandchildren? Not very often, probably not much, right? Johnny, do you think a lot about your future grandchildren? No, not much? No? Probably not much. Why? Because it's a long, long way off. It's not something we do unless we're already at that point in life. But what you should be thinking about, this is my admonition to you younger people, and even to people that are kind of middle-aged like myself, you should be thinking about what kind of heritage are you going to leave to them? Will it be one of multi-generational faithfulness to God? Will your great-grandchildren be able to look to you and say, that guy or that girl, that lady, man, God blessed him or her with faith, and I'm still benefiting all these years later, right? I'm able to do that, like to look to my grandfather and be like, God blessed him with faith, and we're still benefiting all these years later. And I would hope that many of you can can say the same thing. And so our grandchildren, the blessing that they bring to us. A couple of things that brings to mind again for you. In what ways would God have you build for the future? For your future children and for grandchildren? In what ways would God have you build and prepare them for that multi-generational faithfulness in a world that's ever-changing, where there will be many challenges to their faith? In what ways can your faith spread to your family and that blessing in turn spread to them? I want you to think about that today. How can I be a blessing to my future children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? Maybe they're not future, maybe they're here. How can I be a blessing to them here today? And how can me, knowing God, individually, that blessing expand out to them? And again, for those of you that don't have children, grandchildren, spiritual children, how can I be a blessing to them And how can God's blessings radiate from me out to them today? The last thing here, and this one's a little shorter. We've got the individual blessing, the family blessing, and then I want to close by illustrating this, because this one's actually important, though, too, though I'll be a little quicker on it. It's the national blessing, the national blessings that come from all of this. In verse 5, May the Lord bless you from Zion, 
so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And then if you skip down to that very ending there, peace be with Israel. Peace be with Israel. This is a national blessing. So the circle has gone out even further. It's gone from individuals to families to nations. And here, the prosperity, this blessing of prosperity is represented by Jerusalem, by Israel, because remember, this is Old Testament. So Israel, Jerusalem, the psalmist wants prosperity in Jerusalem. And then the Lord, the Lord sits. And he sends out his blessings to you from Zion, from the holy city, from which God rules and reigns in power. And so the godly man to whom the psalm is addressed, he's not just seeking blessings for himself. He's not just seeking blessings for his family. He loves his fellow men enough that he is seeking blessings for his entire nation. And that's important. The amount that God blesses any nation is largely related to how many in that nation follow and love him. And so the blessings radiate, again, from the individual to the family to the people. And if there aren't very many individuals following God, then there aren't very many families following God, and then the nation as a whole is not following God, and the blessings do not go forth and do not extend. But here, the faithful father, he leads his family. The blessings flow out to the building of the godly Christian household. The godly Christian household multiplies through the generations and increased blessings come upon the nation. So for you, you think about this, okay, in our context, what does this all mean? Well, if your hope and desire is to experience greater blessing on a national level, and I think many of us do hope for this, then it starts with you. And it starts with your walk with God. And it starts with you being blessed by God. And then we end with this phrase here, peace be with Israel. Peace be with Israel. We long for peace and we long for the absence of war on a national level. We all want this. We pray for that. Prolonged periods of peace are always a blessing to any country, to any nation, to not have its men dying off in battle, its cities destroyed. But there's also that internal peace that I was speaking to earlier. There's this internal peace that you can have as a Christian that I can have. A steady peace in our lives that comes from walking with Jesus, from knowing we're no longer at war with God. Galatians 6.16 says, May peace come to all those who follow this standard. May mercy even come to the Israel of God. And so, will you follow God first so that the national blessings come later? Will you pray as we often do? You know, we pray here on a Sunday morning for national blessings and for those who represent our nation. But may we remember that it begins with us and it begins in our households first. And will you let the peace of the Holy Spirit be with you as we go into this new year? As I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the new year. And I hope you are too. And I hope it'll be a peaceful year for you. And I'm praying that for you. Please pray that for me too, by the way. But I'm praying for you to have a year of peace with God. So I want to reflect back on our central truth and then bring this all home. Our central truth was that life is blessed when you live for God. And that's very generic, but I'm putting that out there simply. But then what must we do, Christians, as a response to that? What is our call to response in light of this? We must live for God in order to see his blessings on you, your family, and your nation.
So are you living for God today? Do you have that right thinking that leads to right action, that leads to God's furthering blessings upon you, your people? Because I'm betting each one of you here again, unless you're like those 17 old cranks, you want God's blessing, right? You want it. And so what must happen here? Will you pray before God? Go before him. But then accept his blessing as you follow him, as you live for him in this new year. I want to ask you, leave you with a question to think about. What is one thing you feel God calling you to do in order to live for him in the new year? Maybe there's a change in in your life, something you're feeling God wanting you to do to live for him in this new year. What is it? What would you have God do in your life in order to live for him and receive his blessings, his fulfillment, and his peace today? It could be a ministry that you need to leave, lead, excuse me, or leave. It could be. It could be, though, a sin in your life that needs to be destroyed. It could be something that's you're dealing with a habitual sin that God is leading you to destroy and by his Holy Spirit to purge from you. But what's one thing you feel God calling you to do in this new year? Let's go before God. Let's pray and let's thank him for the many blessings he's given us. Pray with me. Father, as we, we come before you, we see your blessings are immense. Your blessings are far beyond anything we can fathom and imagine. And Father, we just acknowledge that we don't deserve them. We don't deserve any of it. But you are a great God who desires and loves giving great blessings to your children and those who you love. And so, Lord, today, help us to follow you. Help us to be guided by your word as our law. Help us, Lord, to love you more than we have before. We can only do this through your strength, through your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we can't love you anymore by trying harder. But, Lord, we can ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to desire you above all things. May your name, your renown, be the desire of our hearts. And Lord, I pray for each person in this congregation, for each person that's here today, to receive your blessings, to know your peace in the new year. Lord, that is what we strive for in this lifetime. No matter what is going on, may we be blessed today. May we have peace as we go out from here. And may we live for you. May we worship you now in all your splendor and all your glory as our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.